This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about recovery, reckoning, and redemption. Tonight's episode is episode number 18, Tell Me a Story. I'd like to, before we get into tonight's episode, and, and, and it is a little bit kind of a, a nice little, I'd, 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 con, I'd consider tonight's episode to be a, a walk down a well-trodden path, maybe, maybe even one that think about being in woods and, and there's a path, you know, and it's, and it's got, maybe it even has like little, little nice river stone type pebbles along in some shrubs and things but it meanders. It's not, it's not a well-cultivated uh, maze or boxwoods, hedges kind of thing, but, but it, is, it, is, it is a distinct path, and, and, it's a, and it rambles a bit through the woods, and that's what I kind of think tonight's about. It's just in a very interesting place in my mind. Very, I'm very happy today. I'm very grateful today, and I think that's attributable to coming to some realizations about my life and and some my program and resentments and things like that but also that just like with everything I had the opportunity to work with some other men who are in far greater straits than I have probably ever been and it is what keeps me sober keeps me alive and keeps me happy so without further ado this is episode number 18 tell me a story before I begin, as always, I'd like to hit a few key points. First, this podcast is not an AA meeting. It is not something that is uh, sanctioned by or held out by anyone as a meeting. This doesn't constitute approved literature. And though I do think that is an important thing, and I do appreciate the General Service Office and what AA as an organization does, <clears throat> You know, I also, I, I'm a firm believer in the lack of any governing bodies and the anarchy of AA, because I think that's a lot of where the the juice and the magic of the beehive comes into play. But in any event, this is not an AA meeting, please, or an a, NA meeting or anything like that. And I would suggest that anyone who's struggling with any kind of issue of substance abuse, addiction, recovery, please get get help get into a program of recovery attend meetings get a sponsor work the steps sponsor other men and women and 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 find the divine spark number 2 i'm not a mental health professional and i'm not qualified to give mental health advice or counseling i'm not licensed in any professional field of mental health i am a licensed professional in a particular field but i am not a mental health provider. <clears throat> Number three, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. It is the heart of everything we do. Please preserve and protect my anonymity. Please protect yours and everyone around you. I certainly encourage everyone to reach out to me with questions, comments, any ways I can make your, your experience with the podcast better. But please respect my 
uh, privacy. You can reach me at extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com or uh, on the Instagram. <laughs> I always think of that movie, The Internship, where they're like, exchange a gram. You put it on the line. So you can reach me on the line at, at Extravagant Promises Podcast. Um, and that's on Instagram. So if you want to DM me or follow me, that's cool. And uh, I'll try to respond. I, in fact, I will respond. So I uh, would love to hear from anybody who's got issues, questions, things, they, topics they want to discuss, things like that. Um, fourth, this is a act of service on my part. I will never solicit or accept any kind of compensation for this podcast. And I will not accept advertisements or any, any such thing. This is um, transparent. It is candid. And it is 100%. Um, from the heart and my truth. And so I, I do offer this as a, uh, a avenue of service that I give back to the recovery community. Love and knowledge. In fact, the, the proper title is Roman numeral f- f- six, <laughs> excuse me, Roman numeral six, love and knowledge. Their footless dance is of the beautiful liability of their nature. Their eyes are round, boldly convex, bright as a jewel, and merciless. They do not know compassion, and if they did, we should not be worthy of it. They fly in air that glitters like fluent crystal, and is hard as perfectly transparent iron. They cleave it with no effort. They cry in a tongue multitudinous often like music. He slew them at surprising distances with his gun. Over a body held in his hand, his head was bowed low, but not in grief. He put them where they are, and there we see them in our imagination. What is love? Our name for it is knowledge. Robert Penn Warren. From Touchstones, Man can live his truth, his deepest truth, but cannot speak it. Archibald MacLeish. For many men, being addicts meant living double lives. There were public selves whom others knew and private selves whom no one met. It is a compulsive world and both sides were false. Many of us grew up in addicted families and learned this double life early by hiding from outsiders what life was really like at home. In this program, we learn to live our truth before we can speak it. It is more in our actions than in what we say. We may never know the words for this truth because we do not consciously invent it. It comes to us quietly over time and slowly merges all of our parts. Gradually, we begin to feel whole again as we surrender our double lives for single, truthful ones. God, let me, let me have the trust to give myself to the work of recovery and follow it where it takes me. And that's Touchstones. It was actually from yesterday's uh, reading, but I just felt it was so appropriate to talk about that double life and 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 the idea of what is love, our name for it is knowledge. and And so, you know, when we have these multiple lives, when we live multiple, multiple identities and and secrets, then, you know, essentially we have no name for love. Essentially we have no name for knowledge because we don't even know who we are 
Um, you can you can have a big life, a big truth, a big desired outcome, and then a small little side that's that's just that black peach pit of just hard and and nubbly and 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 impenetrable, and it's a secret, and it can actually dominate you in its malevolence, and you wonder like well, that's not me. That's just this little tumor sitting at the base of my skull or in my lung. And it can kill you and it will kill you. Um, so you, you, you wonder, you know, that, and I've, I've touched on this in past podcasts about we're only as sick as our secrets. And it is, it is so wonderfully liberating to be true, to just own your truth. Own your truth and be courageous in your truth. Um, I don't, you know, the truth shall set you free. Those phrases, it is so true. It is so real that, you know, we, we make compromises in our life and, and, and sometimes, you know, those compromises, we, we really didn't want to, we didn't want to do it. Um, or maybe, or maybe we did, but we change our mind. And, and so we, you know, you think about this cycle, let's just say in like a relationship and you're a man or a woman and, 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 and another man or a woman is, is in a relationship with you and, and you're just, you, you know, it's not what you want. Or maybe you're on the other side of that. It's what you want more than anything. And you're good by, by hook or by crook, you're going to get what you want. And so you end up in this compromised relationship where one person is not meeting you equally. Um, how many times have we seen that where uh, a person, uh, one one side of a dating equation is just in love and wooing the other person and just seducing them with gifts and affection and all these things in the hope that they will make, make they will they will concede and 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 be be your his or hers. And, and that person is not co- fully committed to it. Um, and so the person gives in. Maybe he or maybe she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. And she just can't bear the thought that she would rather be unhappy and untruthful and keep a secret than, than hurt his feelings. Maybe she feels social pressure to, to, to say yes, you know, and, and be with this person. Um, Maybe they're family pressures. Maybe maybe she's pregnant, you know, and is like, I have to do this. Um, who knows? And you know, I'm I'm trying to look at it from the woman's point of view on that by using the the uh, uh, article of she or he. But it, I mean, really, they're interchangeable. I mean, especially in today's world, um, I obviously have some some very deep seated resentments coming it from a man's side of this that. I think in the particular culture that I grew up in and society, um, I think it became kind of the de rigueur for, um, you know, mid-20s Southern women to, in my life, to be under just intense pressure to get married. And this idea that it didn't matter whether you were the right person or whether you wanted to do it, you were, you know, come hell or high water, there was going to be a ring on the finger. And and uh, as people have heard me say this before, my first engagement, I was engaged uh, for a brief period of time 
you know, that engagement started with the words in the middle of an argument at a black tie society function, you know, and, you know, I was getting beset upon on all sides in my mind. And, 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 and finally I said, and I, and excuse my language, but I literally said the words, fuck it, let's get married, got down on one knee, pulled my family ring off and said, will you marry me? I can't imagine as a parent advising one of my daughters to get married to somebody whose proposal sounded like that. But the young woman at the time who was, you know, I mean, a she was a professional, working very successful. I mean, she was so blinded with the notion of getting married that she just immediately started jumping for joy. And are you kidding? Yes, of course. You know, and all this. And it was like, I mean, I knew I was signing my own death warrant. Thankfully, she actually, about five or six months later, issued a, issued a stay of execution and broke up with me. Um, and, 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 and when she did, she said, I forced you into this, you know, and, and I wish I had had the courage to, to, I wish I'd had her courage, to be honest with you, at different points in my life, even today, you know, to be able to say to somebody in the face of their feelings being hurt, you know, this isn't for me. You're an amazing person, but this isn't for me. Um, I, I just don't, I don't have that deep, committed spirit to be, to be here for the rest of your life or mine. Um, and so, so, you know, that's just, I'm not trying to go down that road again, but what I'm trying to say to you is I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a sport you're playing in high school or college or something. And, and you, you know, it's not your thing. But, you know, dad always wanted you to be a varsity football player. So you're going out and getting your face beat in. And, um, and you don't want to. And you're scared every day or whatever it is. And, and yet you do it because, because of some. So you, so you harbor this secret. And the secret starts to, to erode you. The secret is because it's not your truth and you don't speak your truth. And so slowly but surely you are dying inside. And slowly but surely, you're also turning into that falsehood. You know, which one is you? You know, and you can live in that little secret, can become many secrets to the point where you're not the person that you want to be. You don't even recognize the old you. And it's like Darth Vader or something where it's like you finally pull that mask off and you're like, I can be rid of this thing now. And, and it is a horrible life. I would submit that it is, oh, you know, um, I can't say that I, I can't, I've never been to prison. I've never lived in some of those just, just terrible existences, but I did hear on a, on a documentary uh, that I was watching about wrongful convictions where they were talking about hell being a place where there's no air and it's infinite, in, in, infinitely hot, but yet you don't burn. You just suffer and you can't die. And that's hell. And this person was saying that's what prison was like. And, and this person was wrongfully convicted and, and was innocent of the crimes and it, and it, and it ultimately killed him. But, you know, I kind of look at that as like, you know, if you're a, if you're a man or a woman of integrity, 
character, love, deep abiding soulfulness and, and, and sweet and gentle in your heart. And you're living this secret, you know, and you're doing things, you know, oh my, you know, like you just start to get to that place where it really is easier. You know, you almost feel like it's easier to be dead than it is to go another day living this secret, but you just can't tell somebody. Um, it, it becomes a double life. And that's what, that's what they're talking about in touchstones that, that you got to learn to speak your truth and you don't cover it up with booze. You don't, you don't cover it up with, with vice because pretty soon that peach pit becomes a, an avocado pit and then it becomes a, a peach tree or an avocado tree inside you. And it's just growing. And it's like, you think of it just vile vines and, and limbs and, leaves and all just coming out of your soul that are just a black tree of hatred and self-loathing. That's what I think about when I think of secrets. You know, I think of people who've had to keep those secrets. And and again, I don't mean like Anne Frank is up in the in the in the attic, let's keep it a secret. I mean like you know you're living wrong. You're living a life that's not out there and open and honest. And it just it just sucks. I mean, I can just tell you that it sucks. So when we talk about that that and I that core or that secret, you know, it it, it becomes, you know, there 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 there's sort of two. I mean, there I I'm not a psychologist, so maybe there are a lot more emotions or character traits that come out of it. But to me, what what emanates from when you hold a secret like that is one of two things, if not both, arise from that. The first is shame. You're ashamed of who you are. You're ashamed of what you are. You're ashamed of what you're becoming. You're ashamed of what you're doing. And the evidence of shame is the fact that you're not willing to speak your truth. You're ashamed of it. You're afraid. Fear. What if, what if someone finds out that I'm blank, not in love with my husband, not in love with my wife, that I'm gay, that I'm straight, that I'm whatever, that I'm poor, that I, I don't come from a family of Romanoffs, um, that I actually, you know, was adopted, that I'm not adopted, that I didn't, whatever. You know, shame, fear. And then the other is resentment. I'm angry at you. I'm angry at you for making me live this secret. I'm angry at you for loving the, 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 the lie that's me. I'm angry at you for forcing me to do this. I'm angry at that girlfriend for yelling me into getting engaged. I'm angry at my parents for wanting a son that, that, that has, that's married to a woman and, is, and has kids, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I'm angry at, 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 at my kids for being the product of a marriage that I didn't want to be in. I'm angry at my employer for being a, a lousy, soulless suck of a humanity because um, that's where you go to get a paycheck that I have to go to support this wife that I don't want and this, these children that I didn't, which shouldn't have come from the fruit of the poisonous tree, so to speak. I mean, think about all those resentments. I mean, that's like big book, how it works, writ large. 
And those resentments start to build. And really then you ultimately, I resent myself. I resent myself for being a coward, for being so chicken and just not able to speak my truth. I resent myself for pouring booze and drugs and vice into and sin into my soul and into my veins so that I could evade, escape, be for a moment that connected, loving, sweet child of God. And I wasn't. I resent you. I resent you for doing that to yourself. I resent you, you coward. Think about those things. Resentment and shame. They might as well call it. They might, you know, I could see uh, like opening a, a whiskey brand, resentment and shame. Think about that. You know, bad decisions and hate basically is what that, you know. And and that's that's what that's what that life leads to. You know? That's what that life leads to. Resentment and shame is the secret and that and that that self-loathing of just, you know, hey, fly your freak flag. Fly your truth. Live it proud. So much easier to say than do. So much, believe me. Even even I, after all these preaching on the podcast and all my years of recovery and days and all these things that I've done and work, and I work the system and I work the program and I work recovery and I have a sponsor and my sponsor has a sponsor. You know all that. Even with all that, I still have secrets. I still have shame. I still have resentment. And I have to work that. I have to work through that and be like, why do I not speak my truth? What am I really afraid of? What am I afraid of? What are you afraid of? What's your secret? What is it you would do if, if you won the lottery? I used to say this all the time, be like, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't change a thing about my professional existence. I love it so much and all this. And the truth is, is all these years later, that's complete horse shit. You know, every time I got to look at the bank statement and to see, am I going to make payroll? Do I have enough money to pay my alimony and do this and that? I'm like, God, I just want to shrug. I just want to let go. You know, and the I don't really share what profession I'm in on this podcast um, or what my business, line of business is, but it's tough, you know, and I've been very successful in a lot of ways and very unsuccessful in other ways. But, you know, overall, I, I've, I don't have a lot to complain about, but yet the stress and the anxiety and the worry, boy, that just wears me out. And you think, well, what if, what if you didn't have that? What are you afraid of? You'll be glad when you die you spent the time worrying about that bank statement rather than with your kids loving on them having a good time traveling you'll be happy that you weren't with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your lover or your partner or your husband your wife your mom your dad somebody that you cared about your best friend shooting down the rapids on the colorado river or quail hunting or reading a book in a library and Nantucket or somewhere cool, you know, sitting in that chapel. I always, I want to go, I want to find the chapel that's in the book, Moby Dick, that he talks about. Um, there's some painting on the wall and he's sitting there, you know, Ishmael, I guess, is sitting there in the, in the chapel in Nantucket before the whaling ship goes out. And, and 
And it says something like he thinks that it's saying, beat on, proud ship, serenest azure is at hand. I remember that from Moby Dick. And I think I'd love to go to that. I'd love to see if that place exists. I'm sure it must, right? You know, it'd be kind of cool to sit there and go, yeah, you know, read a book and put a dollar in the donations box and say a prayer and um, and think about, you know, all those things you could do with an opening, open heart that you're not doing right now because you're afraid, because there's something holding you back. What is that? What is it that makes you not live your most authentic, open-hearted, sweet, gentle self? What are what is that? You know? Is it is it expectations of your grandmother, your grandfather, parents, somebody, you know, teachers, somebody? Is it expectations of yourself that you think you should? You know, what is it, the eight most dangerous words? What will people think and what will people say you know you should the case of the shoulds you should do this fuck should you know fuck should and fuck other people and fuck what they say and fuck what they think sorry my language got it but you know what what would you what would you, what would you do if you really could say fuck that fuck it you know, to all the, to the fear and the shame and the secrets and the, and all, would you just, I mean, would you be like, you know, just jamming, jamming out to a, like a gay pride festival in Key West or something with like, you know, your friends and stuff? Would you be like sitting alone in a, in a, in a, in a library at Oxford, England or something? Would you be like smelling what, what the paintings smell like or feel like in the Louvre? You know, would you be running a marathon? Would you just be chilling, mowing the lawn? Would you be working, doing what you or would you be doing what you're doing? Being like, man, I've got the best wife. I have the best kids. I got a great body that I love working out with, you know, and I'm not I'm not afraid of anything. It's what God gave me and I'm gonna use it. What would you what would you do if you could say fuck it? Fuck the fear, fuck the shame. <laughs> Remember Saturday Night Future? You don't fuck the future. The future Saturday night Saturday night. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> you don't fuck the future. The future fucks you. You know, what if What if you could fuck the future? You know, what would you do? How would you live? Would you be a chef? Would you be a, a, a lawyer, a doctor? Or would you go, go get that degree you didn't get? Go, you know, what would you do? I mean, sure, there's some doors that are closed. You know, I'm probably not climbing Everest. I'm not going to be able to be in the military, you know, um, yeah, but most of those doors are still open, you know, to just love, love sweetly. You know, I think about that sweet child that's inside you that was in eighth grade, you know, that just like really wanted to like jam out with, you know, cartoons or something and, you know, loved it if when your parents weren't fighting or, you know, and, you, and they were sweet and you're getting that, your favorite meal. What, what was your favorite meal in eighth grade, you know? You know, mine was like pork chops and fried rice. I love that. We'd eat. I mean, I just turning. I love. You know, I I just would. I just love that. You know, and you just think about like watching like Friday night shows or something with with your family. I remember telling. I remember thinking, when I was you know ninth grade, um, 
eighth grade, seventh grade, you know that era, you know, and I was thinking about this because there's a movie, I'm really rambling now, but there's a movie out about Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think about that because I loved, I mean, loved Queen and uh, I love Sticks and, and, and the Commodores, you know, late 70s, early 80s music, you know, the best of times by Sticks. Just think about like a little eighth grader with kind of like long hair, bangs, you know, and like, you know, sitting there. I was in this little public school. And I remember, I remember um, the song Another One Bites the Dust came out. And, 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 and the kids in my class could turn their desks into like musical instruments and they'd start banging around on those things. And man, it would be like, it was so cool. But then I remember this song. It was called um, Sweet Love by the Commodores and Play the Game by Queen. And those two, I would sit there. I was a little little boy. Man, I wasn't cool at all. I was one of the kind of nerdy kids. I was one of the smallest kids, too. And, boy, I got my face beat in in one of these Friday Night Lights-type football programs. Everybody could be on the team if you could hack it, but you were going to get your ass whipped, and I did. But, you know... You know what I wanted? I, I wanted a friend, like a best friend, you know? And I wanted a girlfriend. Man, I wanted a girlfriend so bad. I wanted to fall in love, you know? Fall in love, play the game. Man, I was just like, well, I wonder one day if I'm going to have a girlfriend, you know? I wondered one day if I would have a friend, you know, like somebody who loved me and I loved them. I wondered about that. I wondered, like, you know, Am I going to fall in love? You know, there's this girl. I remember I told my parents, I, I have a crush on this girl. I don't, I don't really recall. I think it was one of the few times they weren't really di- dismissive of me in that kind of situation. I told them, I think I'm a loser. You know, I'm, I'm a nerd or I'm a geek or I don't know what the popular term was in, you know, 1979 or 1980, you know. But I remember thinking, like, I'm kind of, I'm a, I'm a dork, you know. And this girl would never have anything to do with me. You know, with like the feathered hair and the Jordache jeans, maybe like a velour shirt. Boy, I was just like, I was all about that, you know, and in love. <laughs> and I think about that because I think about that sweet child. That's that's in you. Every one of us has that sweet child in them. Doesn't matter how badass you are, you know, whoop somebody's ass, you mean, you know, whatever. There was a there was a sweet child in you. That's who you're defending if you're in the military or police officer. That's who you're teaching if you're a teacher. That's who you're healing if you're a doctor. That's who you're advocating for if you're a lawyer. That's you know that you know that's who you're raising if you're a parent. Is that sweet child? You know that gentle child. Why don't you go find that gentle child in yourself? Why don't we find that sweet child in ourselves? You know, when we think about that, and I just think, oh man. I wish I could be that kid again. I wish I could be sweet like that. You know, I didn't know. I didn't want to hurt anybody. The only fights I ever got into were because somebody, I was defending myself. You know, I went to a pretty tough little, you know, not, not crazy tough, but like, you know, more like bring a knife to school than a gun to school kind of school, but still bringing something to school because you're scared. And, um, oh, you know, you just think like, where's that child now? Is that child holding secrets? Is that child sad? Is that child? Is that child? Is that child crying out inside you to say fuck it, fuck all that shit, go back and find that child, live without shame, live without fear, live without resentment? I think so. 
Roman numeral seven, tell me a story. Long ago, excuse me, let me start over. Roman numeral seven, tell me a story. A, long ago in Kentucky, I, a boy, stood by a dirt road in first dark and heard the great geese hoot northward. I could not see them, there being no moon, and the stars sparse, I heard them. I did not know what was happening in my heart. It was the season before the elderberry blooms, therefore they were going north. The sound was passing northward. B, tell me a story. In this century and moment of mania, tell me a story. Make it a story of great distances and starlight. The name of the story will be time, but you must not pronounce its name. Tell me a story of deep delight. That's Robert Penn Warren again. <clears throat> Boy, I got a little bit almost like choked up reading that one. Tell me a story. What's your story? What was the story of that sweet child? What was the story of that of that gentle child, that gentle soul? Eighth grade, seventh grade. You know, back then, before you had guile, before you had lies, before you had drugs and booze and 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 hopes and dreams that were based on wealth and power and gossip and standing on other people's shoulders rather than lifting other people up, looking down at them rather than looking down and giving them a hand. Tell me a story. Tell me the story of that person. I would love to meet your your gentle child, your gentle, sweet, sweet person and soul in that story. I had one. I was one. I was once. I want to be again. I'm there. I'm, I'm here. I'm crying out. Tell me a story. Let's tell that story. Let's sing that story. Let's sing that story. I'm just filled with so much hope right now. I have I have closets to clean. I have I have caves to, you know, push the rock aside and and air out. You know, there's some last vestiges in there. But this program, <clears throat> it comes true. I mean it. There is magic and med there is medicine in those mountains. You know, when you think about like ancient cultures and primitive and and uh, uh, societies, and you think about Native Americans, Native Aborigines. You know, uh, of of why did these great people and peoples? Why did they believe that souls and spirits inhabited what we think are inanimate things and trees and land and and mountains? And why do we discard that? There's, there's magic. There is, I say magic, not in the sense of like fake. I say there's mysticism and beauty and, 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 and something that cannot be explained other than through faith and the conviction of that, of that which is unseen. Um, but there's something in this program that when we get together and we do together that which we cannot do alone, these promises come true.
if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We, will know, we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, if it be your will, please bring blessings and serenity down upon everybody who's listening to this podcast and everyone inside and outside the rooms who's suffering. Please bring an end to their suffering. Please help us all find that sweet and gentle child that's inside us that longed for a friend, that longed for love, that longed for a lover, for someone to hold them and, to, and, and, and for someone to hold. That child who knew no guile or vice or chicanery or scheming, that child, that sweet and gentle child, please to help us find them, find him or her in our souls and to, and to, and to, and to grieve but also to, to smile and tussle, tussle his hair, you know, and, and love that child. God, please, please bring your love on that child and help us to find and love that child too. Amen.